So I have been given the assignment of tonight of getting Second Peter chapter 2 and getting from verse 11 down to verse 17. So that's, that's the assignment my pastor gave me. So when you guys discuss, discuss fast. No, I think we've got plenty of time. I do want to give a little introduction, though, uh, just kind of covering chapter 2 up to this point so we all come in on the same page. We're talking about the false teachers, the great danger that they are among you. Remember, this is a real problem for the church. Their heresies will result in their swift destruction at the end of their life. And sadly, that is the same end for all who follow them. God did not spare the old world. He only saved Noah and his family. Neither did he spare Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 6. Both of these should serve as an example to those who choose to live ungodly lifestyles. Because in time, God's time, we will all, they will all, reap what we sow. In verse 7 and 8, we see that God delivered just Lot. As we look at Lot's testimony, there's really nothing that would even tell us that he was a believer in God until we get to that verse that tells us that he was a just man. But sadly, because of his choices, there's no evidence that his wife or any of his kids were saved. You know, and I can't imagine that there, there must have been people in the region sorrowing over the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and those other cities that were destroyed at that time. But probably no, late, no greater a sorrow than for Lot. His children and possibly grandchildren died in that place because of the decisions he made in taking his family away from Abraham, separating from Abraham, and choosing to move into Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, lost people are not the only ones who choose ungodly lifestyles. The judgment of God ought to be a warning for believers as well. Uh, God knows how to deliver the godly from temptations, and he's using Lot as an example of that, the temptations that plague them. He knows our weaknesses, even as saved people. He knows my weaknesses. He knows yours, and he delivers us from those weaknesses, those temptations to sin. And he also knows how to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. I don't know much, but I do, I'm very sure of this. And what I've studied on the lake of fire, the torments of the lake of fire, will be greater than any pleasure of sin, as Moses talked about, that we can experience in this lifestyle. So the, the idea is, uh, it's crazy. These false teachers, verse 10, they walk after the flesh and uncleanness. Uncleanness refers to contamination. Whatever they touch, they contaminate. God had a plan. Sexuality, beautiful thing between a husband and wife. Anything outside of that, fornication, adultery, that's the, that's the false teachers where they come in, as we will see as we go down through these scriptures today. They are presumptuous. They are brazen and openly defiant. They are self-willed. They're determined to go their own way, even though the Bible openly declares that way to be sin. And then it talks about the sin of their mouths in verse 10. As we talk about these guys, they're presumptuous and self-willed. 
They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Uh, a reference to angels there, but that could also be applied to uh, leaders, uh, those who have a higher position, a powerful position. They, they're not afraid to speak evil of them, and it reveals the lost condition of their heart. And now we get into our lesson for tonight in Second Peter 2, starting in verse 11. And let's see here. Can I get somebody to read Jude verses 8 and 9, Dave? And somebody to read James 4, 6 through 7, Dave. Okay, so I got Dave and Dave. So if you don't remember those, I do have them down here. Verse 7 says this, Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them, before the Lord. Abba, Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for your word. I want to thank you for the verses that we're going to look at tonight. I pray, Lord, that we don't look at these verses as just a warning, a teaching for those guys, but we will take these verses seriously and think about our own lives and how we might be in some areas of our lives treading on ground that would be the same ground the false teachers are walking on. Help us follow the example of godly men and women who have gone before us, the good angels, the wise angels, of greater power and might than we have who set a godly example for us. Help me to follow those examples. Help us to follow those examples. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. When I look at this, uh, at this verse here, and it talks about the angels greater in power and might that they brought not accusation against them before the Lord against these dignities, these that were in power. The first thought that comes to my mind is from, a, from, from this passage is from Jude who describes an Old Testament event, the death of Moses. So if we could read Jude verses 8 and 9 please. Okay, so there's a, a lesson for us there. Uh, Michael, the archangel of God, you know, pretty powerful dude. When I, when I look at Michael, I see Satan and the power that he has as a created being of God. And then I see Michael, the archangel, great power, awesome power that God has given him. And I see those two being just about equal in power. If they were to get in a fist fight, I think it would be a real slugfest, you know what I mean? And would go for a long time. But he said here, uh, Peter talks in generalities about the, the angels who were stronger in might and power, but they kept quiet. Here, Jude names one of those angels. And he's talking about Michael. He's talking about when uh, Moses died if, if we go to uh, the Old Testament and we look at the death of Moses in Deuteronomy 34, 6, all it says that God just buried him in a, in a valley in Moab. That's all we hear from there. 
But then we come up to Jude under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God says, there, Jude says, there's a battle that was going on over the body of Moses. Over the body of Moses. See, I believe that God buried the body of Moses for a reason. Because people would have worshipped the body of Moses. They probably would have put it in a box or a glass thing and carried it around and worship it forever. So God buried him there and didn't tell anybody where it was, except it was in a valley of Moab. And it was a real blessing when I was in uh, Jordan the last time, which is what, six years ago now, I guess, or five years ago at least, uh, I got to go up on Mount Pisgah and stand on top of the mountain where Moses stood at that last time when, when God took his life and buried his body there in one of those valleys. Pretty cool. I hope to get Sharon up there. And it'll be in another couple of weeks. I'm leaving on, I think, the 29th. So pray for me. i got a lot of work to do before I leave on the 29th. But it would be great to take her up to that place and to see some other places while we're over there, I hope. But here, Jude reveals that there was a battle over the body between the devil and Michael. And here is Michael with all his power. But yet, according to the words of Peter, he durst not bring a railing accusation against the devil or here that was from jude he dares not bring it against him a railing accusation know what he did he said the lord rebuked thee the lord rebuked thee the lord is going to take care of that so you know i've heard people that talk about rebuking the devil and and i think they're misquoting james 4 6 and 7 you want to read that dave number two in order, not in status. <laughs> the word there is resist. James doesn't tell us to rebuke the devil. Well, in Jesus' name, you know, I'm going to rebuke the devil. I can control the devil as long as I use Jesus' name. No, he, he doesn't say rebuke him. He says resist him. Submit to God and the word of God and then resist the devil and he will flee from you. And by the way, he doesn't flee because of me. He flees because of who's standing right behind me. You know, my big brother that's standing right there. That's why the devil will flee. So resist, not rebuke or drill or rail. And one thing that uh, convicted me, and we're going back, somewhere between two and three decades probably, was I was reading and preparing for a sermon, and I read Matthew twelve thirty six that says this, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. I don't know about you, but that verse stuck me. And I don't think it's got to be words that come out of our mouth. I think the words being spoken up there could be type, 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 descend, you know. And, and the Lord says you're going to give an account for every idle word. To me, an idle word is one that we just don't think about. We just say it and then worry about the consequences later. You know, it's just, it can just be very casual. So uh, since then, I've tried. And to try to do this goes against our flesh to control my mouth and be very careful what I do. I'll be on Facebook. I just got on Facebook when I was in the Philippines. You haven't seen any political posts on Facebook. 
Why? Because I represent the king. That's all I'm going to write about is the king. Not my president, the king. I'll pray for my president. The Bible tells me to do that. By the way, it doesn't say to do it if he's Republican or Democrat. It just prays for those who rule over you. You know, pray for those who rule over you. Submit yourselves to their authority. But here, uh, when it comes to the king and it comes to rebuking the devil, we have to be very careful about what we say because the angels were wise enough to keep quiet even though they had great power and might. Maybe we ought to be wise enough to do the same. Just a thought. Any, any thoughts from you all on that? Okay, moving on to verse 12. Uh, but these, natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not and utterly perish in their own corruption. Uh, Dave French, if you still got uh, Jude there, could you read Jude 10? Or you didn't have Jude. Dave Bamas, you still got Jude. If you could read verse 10. So brute means irrational or unreasonable. And beasts simply mean an animal. And uh, when we think of these brute beasts put together... It's a, it's a dangerous animal. It's not something that behaves rationally. Like uh, if you see a, uh, a coyote or a raccoon or a skunk that's not behaving rationally, you probably think, well, that thing's probably got rabies. Something's affected its mind. And what do you have to do? Kill it. <laughs> put it down. You have to put it down. Because it's been corrupted. It's been corrupted, it's dangerous, it's deadly. It has to be put down. And then, but Jesus prepared, and once again, when I saw this brute beast, I, I'm a picture guy, and this picture came to mind as some of the teachings of our Lord and others who came after him. Matthew 7, 5, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in cheap clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. He said, they're going to come to you. They're going to be in sheep's clothing, but inwardly. They're going to look, Dan's talked about this on the false teachers. They look good. They sound look. Sometimes they got a better message than we do because we preach the word of God. You know, and uh, people want to hear what they're saying more than they want to hear what we say. But Jesus said they were, they were uh, wolves, ravening wolves in sheep's clothing. Acts 20, 29 Paul was warning the elders in Ephesus, For this I know, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. You know, there's a big deal with the restoration of wolves out west. And I got to talk, I can't remember which trip it was, but I've only been there a couple times. But somewhere along the line, I got to talk to a rancher out there. That was like outside of Yellowstone someplace or something like that. And he was not excited about wolves. He was not excited about wolves. But he said, a bear will come down, it will kill a calf, haul it back up the mountain. A mountain lion will come down, kill a calf or a sheep, and haul it back up the mountain. A pack of wolves will come down, they will destroy the whole flock. 
They just kill because it's their nature to kill. They don't kill one. They kill them all, and then maybe they eat one out of all they kill. And so he was not excited about wolves. So if the wolves come down, even though they're restoring them and they're attacking the flocks, guess what the government has given them permission to do? These wolves are behaving irrationally, not as the wolves are supposed to. They're supposed to be taking deer and elk up in the mountains someplace. So they have to be put down. They have to be killed. And here, you know, he's talking about these these corruption. And, and uh, he said among the farmers, too, the farmers don't like it. The ones that are raising grain, they don't like it because now the mouse population has come up because the wolves are so territorial. They've driven out the coyotes and driven out the foxes that eat mice. So now there's a mice explosion out there. This was according to this one guy. I'm not ex- an expert on wolves or mice or anywhere in between, but it seemed to make sense. There was just no mercy. Uh, they, they perish in their own corruption. Jews says they corrupt themselves. And in the end, once again, that well-known truth from the Scripture, in the end, whenever that end comes, they will reap what they sow. But that is no consolation because they do great damage while they're here. And we have to be careful. Jesus dealt with the reality wolves in Matthew ten sixteen. He told the disciples, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. In Luke 10, 3, he said, you are sent forth as lambs among wolves. Paul knew that the wolves would move in as soon as he left. And that hop happened a lot of times in Paul's ministry. Some of the uh, letters he wrote were written directly because he started a church, planted a church on solid doctrine, went away, the wolves came in. So he had to write a letter to correct the heresies that the wolves had brought in with them. Uh, and when you think of the book of Galatians, that was not a church. That was churches in a whole region that had been corrupted by this perverted gospel or another gospel, as Paul calls it. So it's a, it's a real, real problem. Uh, for these wolves. And he talks about these brute beasts and that they, they're, they're just no mercy. But these as natural brute beasts uh, made to be taken and destroyed. Their end is going to be, they will be destroyed. Speak evil of things that they understand not. And that's another reason why I I'm, I'm, tend to be rather quiet about things. I don't know how to cure the national debt. You know, I mean, I don't know how to move Putin out of Ukraine. I don't know how to balance the budget. I don't know how to do any of those things. And you know what my opinion amounts to? About a conversation over a cup of coffee. That's about all my opinion amounts to. So it is, we don't want to speak about things that we don't fully understand. And the other reason that we are to command and speak the truth in love. And I want to make sure I'm not publishing a half-truth. The only truth I'm going to speak or try to push on is speaking the truth in love, loving those that I'm speaking to, and speaking that which I do understand. i got to tell you, there's a lot about this Bible I don't understand. As Matt was talking this morning, uh, we don't ever arrive when it comes to reading and studying the Bible. It's not that we hit some plateau, I made it! 
I get it. This is continual study and reading and trusting the Spirit of God just to speak to our hearts on different things and, uh, and teach us from His Word how to be more like Jesus. Anything on verse 12? Or have I talked you to death already? Yes, ma'am. Let me come back so I can hear you. What's that? I, I can't. I, I just, I think maybe that, I don't know if I even want to go down this road. <laughs> but when you, get it, when you get into election, you know, and, and I'm not going to get into a whole doctrine election tonight, but I think God knows that, and we're going to get into a little bit more in the next, in the next verse or two, about there's, how there's always somebody who fills void. God knows there's some that are going to go. And he knew before the foundation of the world that one day, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, that one day you were going to get saved. And that so you were made to go to heaven and be with Jesus. And others, he knows that they're going to hear the gospel and reject the gospel, or maybe they won't even listen to the gospel. And, and these guys, pastors, have, had, I hope, that I have been made to stand before God and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he knew the path that I would choose before I knew what path I should take. But these other guys, he knew what path they were going to take. So in a sense, I think that's kind of where it's coming from. These guys were made for destruction. That's where they're going to end. And not I don't think it's speaking to an individual, but it's speaking to any who choose that path. You know what I mean? Uh, any, any that would go down the road defying God. Remember, these guys are defiant. They aren't just, they don't know. They know, and they don't care. And they're just going to do the opposite of what. And there's been times in my life I behaved the same way. And that's why God's had to take me to the woodshed a few times, you know. And I've learned I don't like the woodshed. So I try to smarten up and listen a little bit, you know, but that, that's the best answer I can give you. I don't want to get into all of election and all that stuff, but I, I think there are some that, there are some, many are called and few are chosen. You know, some choose this path and some choose the other path, and those who are chosen, I believe they're chosen because of the choice they make when they hear that gospel message to reject or follow, rebel, not rebel. And that's the same thing when we get to every passage of Scripture we come to. We basically make a choice about what we're going to do with the truth of that Scripture, to tell the truth or tell a lie. You know, so it goes down the road. But I probably just totally confused everybody. I don't know. Any other thoughts or comments? Or anybody want to clean up what I just said? Straighten me out. <laughs> okay, let's move on to verse 13 then. And I can take that. This is a discussionable Bible study. I always loved it. I love doing Sunday school as much as I love preaching. I love both. Does that make sense? You'd love two things at the same time. Because I learned so much in the discussions during Sunday school. People would see something in a verse that I hadn't seen. And it was like, wow, you know. And, and then there would be people who would make me go to a phrase that I was trying to skip. And somebody bring me that phrase, so I had to address it. 
thank you so much. <laughs> and, uh, and I enjoy that. I enjoy being challenged. And by the way, in Jordan, you can pray for me because I will be challenged. Those guys, they just, it seems like, at least the class I had last time, they just love to find things to fight about. So sometimes they'll get going, and I will just sit there for literally 15 minutes. I won't have a clue what they're saying. And when they discuss, they yell at each other. You would swear they're going to get up and start beating on each other. And uh, Gasan came over and said, by the way, don't worry. This is how we talk all the time. Okay. <laughs> Intimidated just by being in the very room with them. But anyway, uh, moving on to verse 13. We're doing pretty good. Uh, verse 13, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that commit uh, that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots are they and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Uh, much sin takes place under the cover of darkness. You know, if you're going to steal something from somebody, you're going to sneak in in the night. Well, maybe when, you know, they're gone to work in the day, but whatever. Uh, a lot of sin takes place under the cover of darkness. But these guys, they count it a pleasure. They count it a pleasure to sin, to riot in the daytime. And that word riot can refer to any number of sexual things or just, just doing things that gratify the flesh in the daytime. They don't, they don't care about getting drunk at night when nobody can see them. They'll go out in the daytime get drunk and be proud of it. And the same thing with the adultery. And this, this does take a, a sexual trend as you get down through here. So they, they take pleasure. They don't worry about. And, and then they, they take this right into the love feast. Now, the, the love feast, as I understand it, was like the original... Uh, potluck dinners you know they'd come together for church and somebody that you've been to bible college if i'm wrong you can straighten me out but they'd come to church and everybody would bring some food and then they would share the food and then often afterwards they'd do a lord's supper and then they would sing a couple songs and go home that's my understanding what i've read of the love feast well these guys come into love feast and and the bible says that they are blemishes, they are spots. It's like leprosy on a healthy person. You know, that you've got the, a beautiful thing that's going on, and these guys are turning this thing into that time where they are looking to, what was the words back, make merchandise, in verse 3, make merchandise of you. With feigned words, they try to make merchandise of you. So it's not just when they have the opportunity to teach. They're coming into a love feast and sitting down at the table with you and having uh, a dinner with you, a meal with you. And while they're talking to you and being so nice, they're thinking about how they can pick up your wife. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to make merchandise. They're coming in and they're just, this is just... <laughs> It's like if you got all the deer in Vermont in one place, you got to go down and prey on them, you know. Uh, you would have them all there. So they're using this thing, what should be a beautiful thing as a tradition in the church. And these guys are using it 
And, and for them, it's sport to deceive the brethren. It's sport to make merchandise of them. It's one more check mark on the wall, you know, of, of this thing that they have accomplished. It's pleasure to riot in daytime. Spots and blemishes on the feast. They're sporting themselves. It's, it's just a game to them. With their own deceivings, will they face with you? And I think that old deceivings could be taken two ways. One, they've been deceived into thinking this is how they should live. Number two, they are doing the best they can to deceive others and take them, take them down that same road. And uh, when you think back to those wolves, you know, they're in sheep's clothing, but yet they're hunting. They're looking for a target. They're looking for that, uh, that easy target that they can take down. Any comments on 13? Dave. Oh, yeah. They believe what they say. Yeah. And that sometimes I think we, we, we look at people and say, well, that, that person really seems genuine in what they're saying, or that person seems authentic in, in what they're doing. And it's hard to say, well, boy, I want to give them credit for that. Yeah. Well, really genuine and all this stuff doesn't make them any more right. And that's that's the thing here that I think I think it's saying that people can get convinced that some of the things that, that are false, you know what? After I said it a bunch of times, I actually start to believe it myself. Yeah. And I think we have to guard our hearts too. Because, you know, there's the, the Dan was talking about the propagation of these heresies and stuff. Now that we have the internet there are so many more ways to propagate lies. It, ways for us to share the word. And uh, that's one thing I've liked about Facebook. Just these little things that people put up. The one verse deals, you know, that, that come up that is just really encouraging as a way to start the day. And uh, I haven't replaced my Bible reading with Facebook in case you're wondering. I'd open this first and then I'll cruise down through the, the, the Facebook on the second cup of coffee along with the time that I'm doing my paper. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it could be, that's what I say, and they could be deceived themselves and deceiving others. There is a verse that says exactly that, too. I can't remember which one it is, but deceive, being deceived and deceiving others. Okay, moving on to 14. And this is where I said this, this, uh, this rioting and this, gratifying of the flesh and all this stuff, it does carry with it a sexual uh, overtone and it comes right into this. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Uh, eyes full of adultery. For a male perspective, every woman they look at is a target. Every woman they look at, they're seeing her as a target. 
this is a possible victory right here. And, and they're, they're never satisfied. They cannot cease from sin. Once they head down this road, uh, they just keep rolling. They cannot cease from sin. And uh, I, I heard about one pastor that we had some problems in Vermont years and years ago. And uh, thankfully, I haven't heard of anything in recent years. But I heard of one pastor that was asked if it wasn't hard to commit adultery and then get up and preach in the pulpit when the woman you're committing adultery with is in the church. And his response was, only the first time. Only the first time. After that, piece of cake. You know, God didn't strike me down with a lightning bolt, so I guess I'm good. And we can go from there. And uh, it just... It's just a, a, when we have to remember that the warning was that these false teachers and false behaviors will be among you, will be among you. And back when we were having a multitude of problems right within our own state, there was one guy from outside of Vermont, and uh, he was very popular in the Vermont churches. He even preached at our youth camp once. And I remember when I would go running from youth camp, I would see him up on the top of the hill on his cell phone. And I said, oh, I knew him well. I knew his wife well. They had been at our house. They had like eight kids, you know, and some they their own, some they'd adopted. And they'd been to our house, and I considered him a, a dear friend. I'd see him on the phone and, and all that kind of stuff. And he was supposed to come to our church, and I hadn't heard anything. I tried to contact him, wouldn't contact him. I, I contacted his church, and the secretary said, I can't talk about that. I said, oh, okay. Well, who can I talk to? Well, I'll give you this deacon's name. So I called that guy, and this friend of mine, the pastor, had got up on Sunday morning like he was going to preach. And then right there in front of the whole congregation, he said, I'm done. He said, we have been hiding this, and I forget how long, if it was months or years. We've been hiding this for years, and now we've reached the conclusion that we deserve to be happy. So I am leaving with the love of my wife, and I will not be in the love of my life, and I'll not be in the ministry. And his wife's best friend stood up and walked out of church with him hand in hand. You talk about brazen in the daylight. I mean, it just it just floored me. I, and I had a pretty good relationship with them. I called his wife and I said, this is Pastor Bruce. And his wife just immediately started bawling. So the first 15 minutes of the conversation was just listening to her cry. And then finally we could talk. It just, she was a good friend of my sister's. And just it just blew apart everybody that had trusted in this guy. It just all blew up. So, you know, when, when we think about this, they, they've exercised their heart. The heart. A heart they have exercised with covetous practices. They do this from their heart. Remember what Jesus said about the heart? Out of the heart come the fornications, adulteries, and thefts, and murders, and all that stuff. It comes out of the heart. When, when the Bible talks about guarding our heart, we need to guide our heart, guard our heart. And I can only speak for the males in here. Any male who doesn't think he needs to guard his heart 
is about one opportunity away from really messing up. We need to guard our heart all the time, especially now. I don't know how these young guys do it with the, these teenagers and stuff with their cell phones where they can go anywhere and see anything pushing a button. I was a mess enough as a teenager. I can't imagine the mess I would have been if I would had access to pornography and all that stuff that they have today. I can't imagine it. Don't want to imagine it. That's, we need to guard our hearts. I preached a, a message at our pastor's fellowship at, when all this mess was going on of predators in the pulpit. And I think of these guys in the love feast. They're, they're doing the things in the church. And as a pastor, a pastor learns about the intimate details of people's lives. And then to take that trust and manipulate and hunt, you know, and abuse that power, to me that's a, one of the greatest sins. But I, I thank God that, that uh, the pastor, the, the ordained minister, who, uh, who married... Heather and her husband, my daughter Heather and her, and her husband Matt, uh, he had committed adultery as a pastor. And he shared the same feeling I did, that after that he could never be a pastor again. And he was not the pastor of the church. But he went back to the church where he had sinned. He repented and got right. His wife and him restored their marriage. And he had a regional ministry other churches used him in his church to minister they ministered together as husband and wife to other couples who had gone through this same thing and he also counted counseled younger couples who were planning on getting married and and uh, had a whole counseling ministry for that too and that's how he was recommended to heather and matt not because they had any problems but because they knew him and they just said, this is a good guy for you guys to talk to if you're planning on getting married. Advice that was given to uh, many, many, many young couples that him and his wife ministered to. So anyway, uh, enough of going down that road, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's just a really uh, a, a blatant thing. Eyes full of adultery. Uh, cannot cease from sin once they get started in this direction. It's, it would take a miracle, a miracle of God to bring them to repentance, beguiling unstable souls. And that's what I mean. They, they, especially in the pastor's position, they can find out people who are struggling with something and they can use that against them. And a heart that they have exercised with covetous practices. And one of the first laws in the Bible is thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet, especially your neighbor's wife. And yet they've, they've exercised their heart in these covetous practices that the Bible condemns. Any, uh, any comments on that? To me, that's a very sad verse. Dave? Oh, I, I had that in my notes, Dave. Thank you. I can imagine... 
my friend Maria, what her husband did that and walked out of the church like that. I can imagine what her eight kids went through as they were sitting there watching that, you know. And I, I think that, you know, to break up another family is just so self-centered because it's not just the husband and the wife, it's those beautiful kids, you know. And to just think that my, my sexual desires are more important than that woman and her husband and that husband and wife and their kids. And I think that's where the cursed children come in, to me. I'm no theologian, but just on a practical basis, on some of the stuff I've been through, that's where, where I see it. It's just that, because we know that if there's divorce, it doesn't affect just two people if they have kids. It affects all the kids, you know? And to, to break up a, a marriage because of uh, covetous practices uh, would... Uh, would also be a real problem for the, the kids too. That's where that's where I come from on it. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But any other comments? Okay, right. We're not going to get seventeen, Dan. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to come back and take some of this. We might get through sixteen though. Can uh, somebody want to read fifteen and sixteen, Dave? Man, I'm getting all the Daves tonight. Dave Littlefield, will you read Numbers 31, 16, and then I can get all four Daves involved. Are there any other Daves here that I'm ignoring? No, okay. Dave. Okay, so here we're, we see another uh, illustration for us. And uh, this verse seems to indicate that uh, at one time they were going the right way, but they have forsaken the right way and gone astray. And, uh, you know, my heart looks to a God that uh, wants to forgive and restore and save. You know, it, like that, that guy that uh, married Heather and Matt, he and his wife talked to me, and they were just two of the sweetest people on earth. They made a great mistake, but you know what they did? They repented, they confessed it, they got right with each other, and now they're serving God, you know, in a great and wonderful way. And other people may not be able to understand that. I think that I've had a, a ministry that I could talk, to the guy that was addicted to alcohol because I went through that easier than somebody else might be able to talk to the guy that's addicted with alcohol because they've never experienced that addiction. You know what I mean? And, and these guys, if they turn around, they could be still using God's ministry. But here it, it looks like they knew the way, they forsook the right way, and are gone astray. And following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And uh, we don't have time to go back and go through all the story 
of, of Balaam. But to, when we think of falling into sin, there's no, it's not like we sin because we have an accident and we fall off a stepladder. You know, I, I don't like that phrase, falling into sin. Uh, to me, most sin, if not all sin, is premeditated. I make a choice to do something even though I know it's wrong. Now, if it was a spontaneous choice and, and somebody slapped me on the side of the head and instead of turning the other cheek, I slapped them back, that might be a reaction thing, you know. And, oh, I was supposed to turn the other cheek, not punch you in the face, you know. But, uh, you know, the, but most of the time, uh, it's, a, it's a premeditated thing. We know it. For me to sin, I have to overcome the Spirit of God who is in me, and I have to overcome the Word of God, which the Bible says our God has written on our hearts. So I have to overcome both of those things to sin. Can I do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what scares me about me. You know one thing that scares me about being old? As I look in the Bible and I see so many examples of men in the Bible, and I've known men personally, they go through life serving the Lord and they get old and they mess up. They mess up. And man, I don't want to mess up. I don't, it scares me that I might do something that would embarrass my wife and my family and my church. You know, that scares me. That's a real fear that I have. Paul had the same fear. He said, I don't want to be a castaway. I don't want to be a castaway. I've preached to others, and then I stopped doing what I preached to others. I don't want to be a castaway. That was Paul's fear on towards the end of his life. You know, and, uh, and, and I think that's something that we really have to guard. And, and this is not talking about the sin of others. This is talking about the sin of me and the temptations of me. And God knows how to deliver us from those temptations, but those temptations are, are very real. They are very real. And we have to make sure that we don't, we don't allow ourselves to go that way. Balaam at one time was a prophet of God. We don't have the whole time for the whole story, but he was a prophet of God. And at first he resisted uh, in turning away from the right way. The Lord confronted him. It talks about the ass. Remember he was on the way and the, 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 the angel Lord was standing there with a sword and three times the ass turned out of the way and Balaam started beating his ass and then the ass spoke to him with a human voice, and he wasn't even surprised. He didn't even act surprised. He starts a discussion with his ass, you know. And, and so, he, you know, even when the ass tried to straighten him out, and then he was confronted by the Lord two or three times, but yet finally he went the other way, and he didn't openly condemn, uh, you know, he could not curse those who God had blessed. But what he did is he encouraged the Moabites to intermarry with the Israelites, which they did in uh, Deuteronomy 25, I believe. And the, they intermarried, and not only did they take their wives and sons and all that kind of stuff in marriage, but they also submitted to their gods and offered sacrifices to their gods, and including Baal, the B-Baal, Baal, B-A-A-L, he was a problem all the way through. 
that God was a problem all the way through. And this is called Baal Peor because that was the place where this, where this took place. But uh, it, it started out there. Uh, Dave, could you read Numbers 31.16, please? So after that took place, it got so bad that the Lord sent a plague among the people back in, in Numbers thirty one, uh, Numbers 25. And here Moses is trying to keep history from repeating itself. He said, we don't want this to happen again. We can't let this happen again. And then in Deuteronomy 31, 1 to 7, Moses sends Joshua out. And Joshua and the armies of Israel, they go into battle and they kill all five of the kings of Midian, and then they killed one other guy too, Baal. That, not Baal, Balaam. They killed Balaam with the sword. So they went hunting under the direction of Moses and under the, who was under the direction of God. They took out the five evil kings, and they took out Balaam too. So here was a guy, and if that is a picture of what we're looking at here, these false teachers who get to the point where they're destroyed, there's a good picture of that right there. Balaam, who was once a prophet of God, serving God, turned from the right way to the wrong way, found a way that he could condemn Israel and get paid for it. And, but in the end, he got killed right along with those evil Midianite kings because of, of his sin that he had sinned. And I'm sorry, Dan, but we aren't going to get to 17 tonight. So, <laughs> we're right on seven. Anybody get any comments before we close out? Yes, coming back, Annie, because I'll never hear you from where I am. And I think that's that's where Lot was. I can't imagine Lot escaping and knowing that his children and grandchildren, he saw his wife turn into a pillar of salt. And, and because of the choices he made, the devastation that it brought to the others. I mean, he, he showed no principles. And when he said, we got to leave because God's going to, you know, judge the, the city. He's going to destroy the city. We got to leave. They laughed at him. They say, who are you to start preaching to us now? You know, so they laughed at him. Anybody else? Okay, I, I've got all the Daves I've kept busy tonight. So, Paul, will you close us out in a word of prayer? I hope you had fun tonight. I had fun. I love to teach and preach the Word of God. I hope it was a blessing to you.